God's word that we meditate on this morning is our epistle lesson from 2 Timothy chapter 2. The Apostle Paul writes to Timothy, Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments, because you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. This is the word of the Lord. Just a reminder again, in this series, this five-week sermon series, that we've now reached the halfway point. We're in, we're in week three of five weeks, right here in the middle, that these are principles of God's word, right, that, that are timely but also timeless. Principles that we then take and apply to our lives as Christians living in 2020. And these are things that are touchy, and they're, and they're, they're things we have to struggle with. And, and some of the things you've already seen, right, they, they maybe make us cringe a little bit. And if you haven't, if you haven't already, go back and watch online, back on YouTube, the, the sermons from the last two weeks. Because, as I mentioned right at the beginning of this series, it's impossible to, to take this topic of church and politics and, and talk about it in one sermon. It's impossible. <laughs> and so, really, we're, just, we're taking these five weeks, and it's almost like one long sermon looking at this topic from all different angles. And so just a quick reminder, if, if you were here or weren't here, and what we've already talked about, in week one we saw that gov government has been established by God for our good. Right? And again, that's a little cringeworthy, right? <laughs> government for my good? Yes, God has established it. Government in and of itself that God places there is meant to be for our good, for a blessing to us. Last week, we saw that we are called by God to pray for all of our leaders in government, not just the ones we like and agree with, but all of them, even the evil, corrupt ones. Pray for all of them, right? They need our prayers, right? We need that government, right, to, to bless us and, and, and give us peace in this world. And then we get to share the gospel, right? So pray for those government authorities. Then today, we're going to dig into this idea that we can disagree with each other. We can have differences of opinions on these earthly political matters. And we are still able to love each other. That it's okay. We can get along and love each other. And just so you know where we're headed yet, uh, it, you know, I'm going to come back to this, but we're still headed. Next week we're going to talk about, you know, you get the right leaders in office to what you think, they're still not going to fix everything and make heaven here on earth. And then the last week, we're going to take a look at that Jesus offers us something much better than any earthly kingdom can. Right? So just bear with us as we go through this topic. It's touchy, it's timely, but so important for us to talk about. As the church, as God's people, how do we go and live our faith in such a political world? So the focus for today. Christians can disagree on health care reform. They can. <laughs> Christians can disagree on foreign policy. Christians can disagree on immigration. Christians can disagree on uh, Supreme Court nominees 
and who it should be and when they should be nominated and appointed. We can disagree in these earthly matters. It's okay. But at the same time, to love each other. And the reason we can do that, the reason why we can disagree on what's right for the economy, or what to do or what not to do about climate change, right? We can, the reason we can disagree on these things is because our politics don't define us. Or if they do, they shouldn't. <laughs> At least not first and foremost. Because you are not, first and foremost, a Republican or a Democrat or a Libertarian or an Independent. You're not, first and foremost, a conservative or a liberal. <laughs> That is not what, in essence, defines you. Who you are, first and foremost, and who every one of us in this room are, first and foremost, is a blood-bought soul of Christ. Purchased with the innocent blood of our Savior. Right, who was willing for every one of us to go to that cross and to lay down his life so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be set free from the curse of sin. That is who you are, first and foremost. That is your identity. You are a blood-bought soul of Christ, and so is every other Christian. That's who you are, number one. And you're not even Republican or Democrat or conservative or liberal, second. <laughs> second, you are part of the family of faith. You are part of the Holy Christian Church, which means that you are united as brothers and sisters in one faith, with one Lord. That unity that we share as the church, that defines who you are. That as you look around here, with all the differences we have, the one thing, as we said in the children's sermon, that we have that unites us above all those things, that matters more than any of those other things, is our faith in Christ Jesus. That makes us family. And family disagrees with each other. <laughs> family doesn't always agree on everything, right? But family, a God-pleasing family, still loves each other in spite of it. And that's what we are as the church. We are family in Christ. We may not disagree on, every, or agree on everything, but, but we still love each other as Christ has first loved us. You are a blood-bought soul of Christ. You are a member of the family of Christ. And then third, you're not even Republican or Democrat or conservative or liberal. You are an heir of eternal life. You are not meant for this world. <laughs> this is not your home. This is not where you really belong. Right? There is a heavenly kingdom that is waiting for you and every one of us where we long to be and we, where we will be by the grace of God through the work of Jesus Christ. We are heirs together of that eternal life. And we long to be there where all these differences and things that, that divide us here in this life are gone. Where we get to be just before the throne of God forever together. Friends, that's who you are. That is what defines you. You are a blood-bought soul of Christ. You are a member of God's family together with your brothers and sisters. And you are an heir of eternal life. That is your identity. And when you have that first... When that is in the forefront of your mind as you go and live your life in this world, it's got to change everything in how you interact and how you talk with each other and how you look at the world and how you look at what your purpose in this world is. 
when I recognize first and foremost what defines me. My identity is found in Christ, not in a political party, not in political ideologies, but in Christ Jesus that transcends all these differences that we have. Jesus taught us a lesson about this. Uh, I don't think it was by accident. Jesus never does anything by accident, of course. That two of his disciples were on opposite ends of the political spectrum. One of his disciples was Simon the Zealot. We don't know a lot about Simon, but we do know something about the Zealots. It was a political group. It was a group of Jews that desired to be free of the tyranny of Rome. They wanted the Jews to be ruling Israel again, not the Roman government. They were anti-government. They were anti-big government, the Roman government over them. This is one of Jesus' disciples. On the other side of the political spectrum, you had Matthew the tax collector. He worked for the government. He was all about big government because that's how he got paid. <laughs> you have these two men who have totally different ideologies about what politics are all about and what government's all about, both called to be Jesus' disciples. I think Jesus is teaching us here that it's not about your politics or how you view government and what its role should be in our life that matters. But it's the fact that we've been called by faith to be disciples of Jesus. And the purpose of the disciples of Jesus transcends all of these earthly differences and ideologies we might share or, or, or have that are different from each other. And our purpose is to be a follower of Jesus. As his disciples to preach the gospel. To live in his word and share his word. That's what our purpose is. That is what defines us. That we are disciples of Christ. That is who we are. And when you think about that, if that's the case, right? if what defines us is our, is our faith in Christ, if what defines us is, is what Christ has done for us and what that means for our life now and forever, if that's what defines us, then what that looks like in your life is that you should be more comfortable with people of the same faith of you than people who share the same politics as you. Think about your life there. If you're more comfortable with your, the people who view politics the same way you do, rather than the people who may have differences in you in those matters who share the same faith with you, there's a problem. Because that faith and Christ and his kingdom transcends all of these political earth differences that we share. And, and that what that means then, friends, that we are called by Christ into his family and that we are his, and that's where identity is, is that we can have differences. And it's okay. But they don't have to divide us. They don't have to sow discord among us. We can recognize those differences and not always agree but still love each other. And the fact is, if, if politics are driving Christians to be divided, well, then we better take a look at where our allegiances are. If these opinions and beliefs about earthly matters are dividing the church or believers from each other and causing discord, time to check our hearts and say, what's most important to us? Where is our true allegiance? Is it to Christ or to earthly things? 
You know, with the last two sermons, these principles of the government for our good established by God and praying for all of our governmental authorities, right? Those are principles that maybe you, you cringed a little bit at those and thought, man, that's hard. <laughs> it's really hard to believe that and, and put that into practice. I hope and I pray that our topic today is a little different than those. That you realize this is good. This is God-pleasing. Is it hard? Sure. But it's something I desire. It's something I want in my life. No one likes discord. <laughs> we desire peace. So how do we do it? How do we live in a world? How do we live in the church together as Christians and realize we can disagree but still love each other? How does this look? How does this work in our everyday lives? Our epistle lesson that we're looking at this morning helps us with that. These are words that the Apostle Paul originally wrote to Timothy, a, a young pastor, um, and, and he's, Paul's kind of Timothy's mentor here. Uh, last week, our sermon text was from 1 Timothy. Here we're in 2 Timothy. So we know that Paul wrote at least two letters to Timothy that are recorded for us, God's inspired word. But these words aren't for Timothy alone. Otherwise, we wouldn't have them. But the fact that here they are, 2,000 years after they were written, part of God's timeless and errant inspired word means they have something to say to us too. Most of us who are not pastors. Most of us who are not young. But words that guide us, principles that guide us in how do we live with each other in this world, how do we deal with differences and disagreements we may have, but yet to seek to honor and love one another. This is how he starts out, verse 22. We're going to walk through verse by verse here. He says, Paul writes, flee the evil desires of youth, and instead pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. He starts out by saying, fleeing the evil desires of youth. Now, it could be that Paul is talking about youth physically, right? He's physically young. But Timothy is, you know, probably in his 30s, right? I guess to some of us that's young, right? But maybe more so, maybe bigger than that, it's not just talking about physical age, but spiritual youth, spiritual maturity. He's encouraging Timothy to grow up in his faith, to flee those evil desires of the spiritual youth and immaturity. And, and what does immature faith look like? What, is, what does spiritual youth look like? Well, it might look like i got to be right all the time. It's my way or the highway. It might look like not caring about other people's feelings and how this might be perceived by somebody else because I've got my rights and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use my rights. It, it might look like I don't care about anybody but myself. It, that selfish attitude. We see that in children, right? We see that in youth, right? They, they worry about themselves, not about anybody else. They're not worried about how their, their words are going to affect somebody else, right? The, they're, they're thinking about not thinking about consequences at all. And spiritually speaking, we can do this too, can't we? Those who are spiritually immature and apply that to our topic. Those who speak without thinking how is this going to be received this might be my right to say but is it the right thing to say is it the loving thing to say right i can speak the truth but am i doing it in a loving way right that's spiritual immaturity 
And Paul is encouraging and commanding. The Spirit is actually through Paul telling Timothy and all of us, flee those evil desires of youth from all of those things that are selfish, that just thinks about me first and what I want and what I think and what I think is good and right. And instead, he says, pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Pursue not my own desires. Pursue not my own selfish interests, but instead, pursue the things of God. Pursue righteousness. Pursue that, that holiness that I am clothed with through Christ. That as God looks at me, he sees the righteousness of Christ, his life and his death that covers over all my sins. That makes me right in God's sight right now. And I want the world to see that. I want to continue to pursue that in my life so that when someone sees my life, they see righteousness. They don't see selfishness. They don't see about what's right for me, but they see the righteousness of Christ. He says, pursue faith. Not in government leaders. Not in the right laws. Pursue faith in the God who rules over all things, over all governments, over all officials, over all things for our good and for our blessing and for the glory of his church, for him and his church. Right? Pursue faith in God. Grow in your faith. He says pursue love. Right? Love is the opposite of selfishness. Right? Selfishness is just worrying about yourself. Love is putting others first before you. Pursue that instead of those evil desires of youth. And he says, pursue peace, right? Instead of trying to sow discord and disagreements and starting fights, be a peacemaker. Peace has been established with you and your heavenly father. Seek the peace among God's people, right? Pursue peace. These are the things that we should be pursuing, Paul writes to Timothy and us. Instead of those evil desires of youth, pursue these godly things. And he says, he gives, he says, think about others along with those, pursue these things along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Consider the example of others around you. Consider those who are pursuing these things and not getting involved with those desires of, those evil desires of youth, right? Consider those more spiritually mature as an example for you. Paul goes on. He says, don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. Paul doesn't pull any punches here, does he? It's pretty, pretty clear language, right? He says, don't have anything to do. Have absolutely nothing to do with these arguments that are foolish and stupid. Actually, the word foolish here in, in the original language is where our English word moron comes from. <laughs> Paul, in a sense, by the Spirit, is saying, don't be a moron. Don't get involved in these moronic, these foolish arguments right, that are based on nothing, <laughs> that go nowhere, that don't benefit anybody. And then he, he calls them stupid. And, and the idea of the original Greek word here is, is uneducated or uninformed. <laughs> and let's be honest, a lot of the arguments, the political arguments that are happening in our world today and that we are so easily drawn into, they're stupid. They're uneducated. They're uninformed. Reading one article on the internet doesn't make you an expert on something. Okay? Just knowing your party or your views platforms doesn't make you an expert. <laughs> it makes you one-sided. It makes you uneducated and un uninformed about it all. Right? Don't get involved in these things. Don't get involved in these arguments. 
Don't have anything to do with them as a blood-bought soul of Christ, as a member of the family in Christ, as an heir of eternal life. Nothing good comes from them. Can you have discussions? Sure. But foolish and stupid arguments? Where do they lead? They only produce quarrels. And literally here in the original language, it says it gives birth to battles. Because when you argue with somebody, right? When you go toe-to-toe with somebody who believes something different about you with these earthly matters, no one's going to win. Have you ever won one of those arguments? No, what do you do? You get entrenched in what you believe, they get entrenched in what they believe, right? And you walk away frustrated, right? Well, I guess we just got to agree to disagree, right? It gives birth to battles. What good comes from it? Is God glorified? Is his, are his people being edified? Is love and peace and righteousness and faith being sought and pursued and found? No. Paul instructs, Timothy instructs us, through the inspiration of the Spirit, don't have anything to do with these foolish and stupid arguments that only produce quarrels. He goes on, verse 24, he says, And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, and not resentful. So as the Lord's servant, not just pastors, but all those who are servants of the Lord, that's every one of us, right? Those who call him Lord and Savior, we are his servants. We are not to be quarrelsome. We shouldn't be getting involved with these battles that just end up with discord and division. Instead, he says, be kind to not just the people who agree with you, not just the people who hold the same ideologies that you do, not just the people who agree in the earthly matters, these political things as you, but be kind to everyone, <laughs> including those that you see life differently, including those who you disagree with on these earthly matters. Be kind. And he says, be able to teach. And what that means is I'm not coming at you to argue with you, right? But let's just talk. Let's have a discussion. Let's learn from each other. Right? Let's teach. Let's instruct so we're not uninformed and uneducated and, and, and you know, have just fallen into a stupid argument. Let's, let's teach each other, right? And not, don't be resentful. Right? That my goal is not to fight. My goal is not to, to hit somebody back if they hit me. It's, it's to be patient. To be gentle. Not resentful. Because we're blood-bought souls of Christ. Because we are family in faith in Christ, because we are heirs of eternal life, as the Lord's servants, we don't desire quarrels, getting involved in foolish and stupid arguments, but to be kind, to be able to teach, to not be resentful. This all sounds pretty good, right? But what happens when there is a fellow Christian who is trying to sow division and discord? What happens when that Christian is trying to cause trouble between us because we just see things differently and they are standing firm that this is the only way it is. It's my way or the highway, right? Putting on the evil desires of youth instead of fleeing from them. That's spiritual youth. That's spiritual immaturity. What do we do? Or what if it's us? What if it's us who's getting involved in the foolish and stupid arguments and causing quarrels? What if it's us who are instead of fleeing the evil desires of spiritual youth, are pursuing that? What if it's us who think it's, it's my way and no way else? That I'm right, you're wrong, in these earthly matters where God doesn't speak. 
Paul tells us. He says in verses 25 and 26, opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. Opponents, those who are seeking to cause division, to take things that we can disagree on, that's okay for us to disagree on because God didn't say this is right or this is wrong here, right? where we can have differences of opinion and ideologies, but taking them and making them into be laws, and it's got to be this way, those who are opponents in that way, you don't fight back. You deal it gently with them. That's what we're called to do, to deal gently. And the purpose is in the hope that God will grant them repentance and lead them to a knowledge of the truth. That it is okay for us to disagree. We don't have to view these political things all the same. It's okay. And to repent. To repent for the times that lead others to repentance when they have fallen into that, or that we're led to repentance, to that truth that God does not desire these things to divide us. When we destroy that unity that we have in Christ, that's sin. And it needs to be repented of. And it's forgiven. At the cross, Jesus died for all of these divisions we cause among ourselves. He paid for these sins, and our goal is to lead each other to repentance when that's the case, to receive that full and free forgiveness, right? And then, as he says, so that they can come to their senses and escape the trap of the devil. Because that's what it is. He says he's taken them captive to do his will. And what's the will of Satan? What does Satan want done? He wants nothing but division and discord among God's people. That is his goal. He wants to divide us with these things that should not divide us. He wants to take these things that we can disagree on and make them things that would destroy our unity in Christ. That's Satan's will. May we not be taken captive by that, but released from that thought. Right? Where God has not spoken about something, we can have differences of opinion and still love each other and still call each other to repentance. And still remember who we are. First and foremost, not conservative or liberal, not Republican or Democrat or independent or libertarian. We are first and foremost blood-bought souls of Christ. We are first and foremost family together, brothers and sisters in Christ through faith. And we are all co-heirs of eternal life together. And if we keep that in the forefront of our minds. If that is how we identify ourselves first and foremost, if that is our priority and focus as we think about our lives in this world, well then the differences that we have, the earthly things, don't quite matter quite as much, right? If we keep that in perspective, if that is our focus, right, then we won't get caught up in those foolish and stupid arguments that just cause quarrels because we know it does no good and it doesn't give God glory. <laughs> and that's not who I am. If we keep in mind who we are first in Christ Jesus, we're able to, in love, call each other to repentance. We're able to speak the truth in love to each other. We're able, in faith, to receive instruction and receive ad admonishment if we need it. If we remember who we are first, friends, blood-bought souls of Christ, family in Christ, heirs of eternal life together in Christ, we can disagree. It's okay. And we still get to love one another.
to love each other as Christ has first loved us. May that love dwell in our hearts, in our homes, and in our relationships as we live together in peace and unity. God grant it. Amen.